from St. Luke's Gospel, the angels proclaim, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Glad to see you all here today. Um, I thought I'd start off before we launch into this sermon, which is about 45 minutes to an hour long. I know everyone loves a long sermon on Christmas Eve, so that's my gift to you today. Uh, but I thought I'd point out something here. We have a new nativity set, which you'll, if you can't see from the pew, you'll see it when you come up for communion. It's very simple. It's just Joseph and Mary and the Bambino here. Uh, no wise men, no shepherd, not even a drummer boy. Just the Holy Family in COVID quarantine. Of course, looking at them, they are not socially distanced, and none of them were, are wearing masks. I almost did that, and discretion is the better part of value, as my dad used to say, so we didn't do it. But, you know, I really like the simplicity uh, of this arrangement here, just the three of them, because, you know, part of the problem with Christmas, in my opinion, is that we get so lost in all the stuff, right? I don't even mean the commercial piece. I just mean all the stuff, right? All the Christmas fluffery that we miss what's really going on here. This is a profound, I would say, the most important event in all of human history. I didn't always believe that when I was an atheist, but I do believe it now. Because when you strip away all the fluff, right? You strip away all the things you bring to the story that you project onto it, you are left with a really important question. What in the world is going on here? What in the world is going on here, right? I mean, just last week I talked about how this stories of the Annunciation to Mary, right? We're so familiar with the text that we, we are blinded to the obvious questions. What is the deal? Think about it like this, right? Some Jewish kid from Bethlehem, which is no place really of any account, some Jewish kid born in a barn. Okay, it doesn't happen every day, probably. I'm always jealous, I have to say, when I was a little kid, whenever I'd leave my room a mess, my mother would walk in and say, what, were you born in a barn? <laughs> well, Jesus could say, well, actually, Mom, yeah, I remember. <laughs> But think about it, just, I mean, just with the, with the text, with the fact, right? Some Jewish kid born in a barn, big deal. So what? So what? What is all the big hooper about some Jewish kid born in a barn seems completely out of place, the importance placed upon this event. You know, we talk about Jesus as the reason for this season. So what? What does that mean? Keep the Christ in Christmas. What does that mean? If you know me, you know that I, I come at Scripture with a, not a critical eye, but I mean, I wasn't always a Christian. So I, I see this, and I kind of see from an angle of what's going on here. And I want to show you something really important, because the angels actually explain to us. I've never preached this before. It occurred to me just last week. I was looking at it. The angels actually tell us in, in three words of the, the enormity of what's going on. I'm going to read it to you. They say, For unto us is born... For unto us is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Man, those are loaded terms. The angels, like, you know, if you're like, what's the deal here? Well, the angels say, for behold, for unto you, y'all, second person plural, for unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So we're going to look at that today. What makes this kid, so it, what makes this baby born in a barn, some Jewish kid of no account, no pedigree, no real importance, right? 
What does it mean? What makes this kid so important? Well, the angels tell us he's a savior and he's Christ. And I want to unpack that for you today. Those are my two points. What does it mean to say that Jesus is a savior? And what does it mean to say that he is the Christ? So first question, what does it mean to say that Jesus is a savior? Well, let me ask you another question. What does it actually mean? I never thought about this either until this week. What does it actually mean to be a savior? What does that mean? What does it mean to be a savior? I'll give you an illustration. Just about three weeks ago, I was over at the ICU at Indian River Hospital here, uh, giving last rites to a man who is in ICU with COVID, struggling with COVID. They will let clergy in. I mean, you can't go in the actual room, but you can go in outside the glass there, and you can pray for these people and give them last rites. I've done it a few times here so far during this pandemic. And as I'm standing there and I'm praying for this person behind the glass, it was sort of surreal to me because everybody in the whole unit in ICU is COVID patients. And I looked around me and I saw all these hospital staff, right? You got doctors and you got nurses and you got administrative people and you got some people walking around in PPEs, right? Personal protection equipment covered head to toe and gear before you go in to actually minister to these people. And I'm standing there looking around. I thank the guy behind the desk, actually, for his, for his work. And it occurred to me that those people that are there are our saviors. Listen to what I'm saying. They're saviors. Listen, here's the thing I want you to understand. If Jesus is a savior, what is a savior? A savior, listen, is a person who does for someone else something they cannot do for themselves. A savior is a person who does something for someone else that they cannot do for themselves. There may be other definitions. That's mine, and it seems to fit to me. A savior is somebody who does something for you or me that we cannot do on our own. And the angels say, this little boy, that kid right there, is a savior. So what is it exactly that makes this kid so special? What is it that makes him a savior? What is he going to save us, you, them from? What is he going to do that we cannot do for ourselves? Well, that's a good question. First thing you need to do is you need to diagnose the problem. If Christ is going to save us from this problem, we have to know what that problem is, right? A savior with no problem is no savior. He's a a, a sideshow. So you need to diagnose the problem. What is the problem? Well, the Bible teaches us, the Bible says, all the way from Genesis 2, all the way through to the end, that the world is fallen, that the world is broken, and that so am I, and so are you. The English word usually used here is the word sin. I don't like the word sin, because it has so much loaded on top of it that it's, you know, when I hear the word sin, I I hear judgment, I hear condemnation. I hear, you're a sinner, and maybe I'm not so bad, right? That's what I hear. That's my baggage. Take it or leave it. But the Greek word for sin, Scripture says that the world, not only the world, but we are sinners. The Greek word for for sin is the word, ready for this? Hamartia. How you get from hamartia to sin, I have no idea. But the Greek word for sin is the word hamartia. Do you know what that word means? It's simple. It means to shoot an arrow, and miss the target. That's what the word hamartia, sin, means. 
that we miss the mark, that we all fall short, Scripture says, of the glory of God, that we are fallen. Now, we don't like to admit it, right? We spend most of our lives trying to cover that up, putting on the front, right? The outward exterior that everybody sees. Most of us try really, really hard to to either pretend it's not true or at least fake it in front of other people, but we all know it intrinsically. You know it and so do I. The Bible is so earthy, man. Christianity is so pragmatic. We all know this, that we are all fallen, that we're not perfect, that we miss the mark. Look, an ivory tower intellectual can deny it. A Marxist can say, we're going to solve the problems of this world because humanity is perfectible. Nonsense. My daughter, Grace, when she was five, yeah, five, <laughs> when she was five one time, she got in trouble. I forget what she did. It doesn't really matter. But I was scolding her for something, and she goes, you know, Daddy, everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> and she was trying to get out of it, of course. That makes my point. Even a, five, even a five-year-old knows that we're fallen, that we all make mistakes, that we fall short of what we want to be, that we are fallen. That is the problem, you see. It's not a condemnation of individual behavior. It's a, it's a description. It's a, it's a diagnosis, if you will. But it wasn't always that way. If you know your scripture, <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam and Eve, and there was no sin, there was no brokenness. Life was literally perfect. We call that Eden. And until Adam and Eve decided to investigate this evil thing and they wanted to know what it was, they eat of the, this gets complicated, but they eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil and bam, they're fallen and everything else in this world is fallen as well. The Bible says, but the Bible says Jesus is going to save us from our sins, from this brokenness, this fallenness. And I don't, mean, I don't, I don't just mean moral infraction. It's a pretty, pretty shallow way to look at the idea. Again, if, if sin is not a condemnation by that diagnosis, what I mean is that Jesus is going to save us from all of it, man. The things you carry, the baggage you carry, the self-doubt, the things you've done wrong, sure, but there's more to it than that, man. The insecurities you have, the fill in the blank. All the wrongs done to, done to you, all the wrongs you've done to others. Christianity says Jesus saves us from that. I mean, Jesus, the word Jesus means God saves. He saves us from all of it. And what I mean by that is this, and I'm going to move on, that Jesus does for us, listen, as a Savior, what we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus does for you and for me what I and you cannot do for ourselves. He saves you. He dies on the cross to pay for our sins and reconcile us to God. You know, it's funny, you read these Christmas, you sing these Christmas hymns, the idea of Christ dying for sin and paying for sin is all through these Christmas hymns. We miss it, unless you're looking for it. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to move on. A small theological point, but it's an important one. Do you ever wonder why Scripture makes such a big deal of Jesus being born of a virgin? I've never heard, I've never heard anybody preach this. I'm going to show you why. Here's the thing. Why is Jesus born of a virgin? Why is that so important? Well, let me put it to you like this. I, as a human being, was conceived in the, uh, I'm not really sure how you say this. I'm just going to say in the usual way, right? Between a man and a woman, my mother and my father. But Jesus has no human father, and Scripture is insistent upon it. And it's not just a trick. It's not just some sort of thing that Scripture says is sort of an alliteration. He was born of a virgin named Mary, Miriam. But why does this matter? Well, it's hugely important. 
Because what Scripture says, listen, is that the fallenness of humanity is transmitted from parent to child. It's inherited in the process of conception, ordinary conception, like I was conceived and you were. In other words, you could look at it like this. You could look at it like this sin idea, this brokenness, this fallenness, this trash. We inherit it from our parents. We are, you might even say in one sense, it's genetic. Psalm 51, verse 6 says this. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Do you see, see my point? Now you can, you can blow this off and deny it, but I'm telling you, this is what Scripture says. Scripture is incredibly concise and clear and consistent in presenting this message. So Jesus is born of a virgin. Why? Because if he's going to pay for my sins and for yours, he can't have any of his own. He must be born of a virgin. It's, it's logical. It makes perfect sense. If Christ is going to save me and you and all of humanity from, from sins, he must not have any of his own. He must be born of a virgin. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to move on to my second point here. And this is a biggie. And it's the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. Is Jesus your Savior? Is he your Savior? Will you, let him, will you let him do for you what you cannot do on your own? That he came, the reason he came to earth in the first place was, the reason God becomes a man is not because he's a, a teacher or a healer or a miracle worker. No, those, are, those are, the reason he comes to earth, John 3.16, he came to earth not to condemn the world, but to save it. Why? Because the angels say Jesus is a savior. He does for others what they cannot do for themselves. Friends, that is the great gift of Christmas, that Christ comes to earth to save us, that Jesus places the offer in front of us, the gift he says to us, to save me, to save you. Here's the question for today. It's the most important question you will ever ask. Am I going to accept that gift? So Christ comes to earth as our Savior. He also comes to be Christ the Lord. Let me show it to you again. The angels say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Jesus, uh, a Savior, got that one, who is Christ the Lord. That Greek word for Christ, if you don't know it, what does that word even mean? It's not his last name, by the way. The Greek word, Christ, the Greek word translated Christ is the word Christos. He's Christos. You know what Christos means? It means a king. Jesus is not only a savior, he is a king. Now, for Americans, we hear this idea of a king, and I don't know, it doesn't really say what a big deal, king, Burger King, like what does that even mean, right? One of my favorite hymns as a kid was Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I always thought Herald, the, Herald, the Herald was the angel, Herald. The, Herald, the angel's name was Herald. That's kind of funny, I thought. I don't know, maybe you don't think so. But when I was a kid, I thought the herald angel was an angel named Harold. But it's actually a herald. A herald angel is an angel that blows a trumpet announcing the arrival of a king. And as Americans, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But let me just challenge you with something. Biblically speaking, you know, for us, a king is kind of like, you know, British and oppression and all that stuff. Yeah, okay. But biblically speaking, the king was your advocate. Biblically speaking, the king was the person upon whom you relied. Listen, biblically speaking, here's the thing I want you to hear tonight. Biblically speaking, when the king arrived, you knew that everything was going to be okay. When the king arrived, you knew that everything was going to be okay. And let me ask you this. This is a biggie. 
Where in your life do you need the assurance? I don't mean, I don't mean pie in the sky, the Lord, and any stuff. I mean the assurance, the trust, the assurance that everything is going to be okay. Where do you need that? You all need it somewhere. Maybe it's problems with your family or your friends. Maybe it's someone who's close to you is wrestling with a mental or physical ailment or both. Maybe somebody is dying that you know. Maybe it's your financial situation has deteriorated. Maybe, maybe, you know, it is Christmas Eve. Maybe you're just plain lonely. You know, I mean, everyone else is having a great time and you're stuck at home by yourself while everyone else seems to be out enjoying the holidays. You know, when I, where do you need to have that encouragement that it's going to be all right? Where do, you, where do you need to know? Who can you lean on for that assurance? You know, when I was a kid, my dad, my dad was an awesome guy. He was, he was a sinner too. He had faults like we all do. Um, but he was a, one of the things my father did for me, which was so important, he's, he was an encourager of me. And I, I'd say, you know, Pop, I blew it, did something wrong. I wrecked his car. Oh, yeah. First day I was driving on the way back from getting my license. That's another story. But, but he's, I'd say, Dad, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever's going on. I'd say, you know, he'd say, no, son, it's going to be okay. We're going to work this out course, you're going to pay for the car, but we all need someone like that in our lives. Who can give us that assurance always? Who can we always lean on to know that everything is going to be okay? Well, what scripture says is there's only one person fundamentally who we can lean on, and that person is Jesus, our Savior and our King. Here's the thing. Christmas is not about a little baby in a manger. Okay, it's cute, it's sentimental. But the kid grew up, right? The kids became an adult. And so what Christmas is, is an, an idea that the season to celebrate, according to the angels, that Christ is our Savior and our King, who leaves his throne in heaven to come to earth, who becomes a man, God, fully God and fully man, to reconcile us to God so that everything is going to be Okay. The greatest thing about Christmas is opening presents. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I like opening presents. But the thing about what makes presents so much fun to open is it's not even so much the thing, because, you know, it's always, you always want something better. The fun thing about opening a present is investigating what's actually underneath that shiny gold paper, right? Or in that bag if you get a present from me, because I don't wrap presents. The greatest thing about opening a present is peeling away and seeing the gift that's underneath. Let me challenge you tonight to think about this. This is, the, this is the most important thing you will ever think about in your life. Let me challenge you to make a decision. To make a decision to discover that kid in a manger, that boy in a barn, that Jewish kid born in a field 2,020 years ago. Investigate who that person is, because the stakes are too high, man. The stakes are too high to ignore his claims. I want you to consider that Jesus Christ came to earth for one reason. To save you. To save you and to be your king. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your son, who came to earth, who took on human flesh and became a man to save us from our sins, to save us from our brokenness, and to encourage us to be our king. Help us live our lives in thanksgiving for this great gift that passes all measure, even as we wait for his return.
In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.